Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half-hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half-hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by Father Paul Marich. Let's join, let's begin with a prayer. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God, pray for us sinners, now now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to speak about a book by Pope Benedict XVI. It's called, What is Christianity? The Last Writings. So Father Paul, why don't you give us a short summary of Pope Benedict's What is Christianity? Right, so you know, as our listeners know, Pope Benedict XVI passed away on December 31st, 2022, after nearly 10 years as a Pope Emeritus, as a retired Pope. And this mm-hmm. is something you know, we've never seen, certainly in our lifetime, and it had not been seen for many centuries in the church. Mm-hmm. But you know, Pope Benedict was known for being such a prolific writer, you know, a great theologian. I once heard an anecdote that when Pope Benedict would go on like his uh, summer vacation, you know, he'd pack suitcases full of books, <laughs> you know, because those were his companions he would go with uh, as he traveled. So the, uh, you know, here was a man who retired from the papacy, mm-hmm. but he did not retire uh, from his work as a theologian, from writing. Mm-hmm. But we also saw ourselves you know, in this unique situation of having a Pope Emeritus, and, you know, he didn't want to have any sense of, you know, a, a, a contradictory papacy you know, to that of right. Pope Francis, you know, or if, you know, what does Pope Benedict say on this? So he, there were a number of things that he had uh, written during those last 10 years of his life, mm-hmm. during his retirement, but that he sp- explicitly said, I want this published after I die. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and then there were a number of other uh you know, so there are some of those writings that this new book uh, publishes for the first time, uh, new writings uh, that we now get to read in that last decade of Pope Benedict's life. But we also uh, find just uh, transcriptions of some talks that he gave uh, during, the, during that time when he was um, the Pope Emeritus uh, that are now given to us in written format. So you know, this is kind of, in a way, you know, a theologically a last testament of, mm. uh, of, of that great... Pope Benedict XVI, of all the things that he wrote, and if any of our listeners, you know, perhaps you know, have read many of those things throughout his um, throughout his life, and not again, not just writings that he did as Pope, some of his encyclicals and such. This is more Joseph Ratzinger, the theologian, mm, right. the prolific uh, writer, and so many of the themes that we also see throughout the theology of of Joseph Ratzinger throughout mm. his lifetime come out in this book, in this compilation book. Uh, and then there's also some endearing uh, stories he tells where you really see the religious devotion mm-hmm. of this man, and mm-hmm. this comes out mm-hmm. uh, later on in the book. Hmm. So what are some of those uh, common themes that, that you find in his last testament that you see in some of his other writings? What are some examples of right. that? Right, so, uh, you know, Pope Benedict wrote a lot about the church throughout mm-hmm. his, well, and I'll, I'll clarify this, Joseph Ratzinger, Wrote a lot right. about the church you know, as a theologian, and then that continued into his time as uh, as pope. And remember, this is a this is someone who was at the Second Vatican Council, and for right. he contributed to 
the writing of Lumen Gentium, so mm-hmm. the Vatican II document on the church. So the church is something very important to mm-hmm. Pope Benedict, and I think that context of seeing the church in dialogue with the modern world, also the church uh, in dialogue with other religions. So interreligious mm-hmm. dialogue, uh, some points on there, that actually takes up a bulk of uh, the first couple of chapters in this book. Uh, well, then we also see, you know, with Pope Benedict, that love for the church and the things that he wrote about the church, uh, this also is seen in how the church worships. And so, of mm-hmm. course, some liturgy was something very near and dear uh, mm-hmm. to the heart of Pope Benedict. And so we see some of these things with liturgy, sacraments, uh, are another theme that come mm-hmm. out here in this um, in this book uh, on the last writings of Pope Benedict. Yeah, so what, what are some examples of what he has to say about interreligious dialogue? Right, so there's a, there's a great chapter in here where he talks about the relationship of truth and tolerance, mm-hmm. because oftentimes we hear tolerance, we hear that word, we think of it in, as being something, you know, being just, oh, let, let anybody believe what they want, or, mm, you right. know, if, I won't bother you, you know, you don't bother me, that's us being tolerant. But Pope Benedict... In this writing, and he the, the writing he talked about uh, with tolerance is looking specifically in terms of monotheism. Mm. Uh, that belief in one God, which you know we take for granted as Christians, mm-hmm. you know, but then when you look at the history of humanity, it isn't really a widespread thing, it or mm. necessarily a common thing. Whereas in the history of humanity, there may be other gods, there may be you know these multiple deities that have control over different realms of, of the universe over the world. And you know what Pope Benedict also does is he goes through this exposition of the Old Testament. So it's a very scriptural mm-hmm. article where he's looking at how Israel, mm. in particular, being you know a monotheistic people, right. often interacted with polytheistic people. Right. And you know, who are the ones being tolerant here? You know, is it uh, is it the the monotheistic Jews or is it the polytheistic, uh, you know, pagan peoples who are harming the Jews, who are, you know, causing a lot of wars and destruction for Israel? So, what he, you know, one thing that Pope Benedict talks about, you know, and especially looking at uh, the story of the Maccabees, you know, here were right. these these faithful Jews who really had to stand up uh, to the Greek religious practices, trying to encroach itself on Judaism. Uh, but what Pope Benedict talks about is in the relation between truth and tolerance, tolerance is anchored to the very nature of truth. Mm-hmm. And that if there's no truth, he says, a society that sets itself against the truth is totalitarian and therefore profoundly intolerant. And so when right. he goes through looking at Israel's uh, relationship in, in its interactions with the different peoples throughout the Old Testament, you know, th- this is just an example of where he sees this. But then what he, he talks about then with, you know, ultimately tolerance, you know, being rooted in the truth, and that ultimately is seen in Jesus Christ. Mm. He says, as an authentic counterbalance to all forms of intolerance stands Jesus Christ crucified. The victory mm. of faith can always be achieved only in communion with Jesus crucified. The theology of the cross is the Christian response to the question about freedom and violence. And in fact, even historically, Christianity won its victories only thanks to the persecuted and never when it sided with the persecutors. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think a very important thing what we see in this world today where, 
you know, we we talk about you know be tolerant, you know, let's uh, let's be open to everyone. But then, if you disagree with the status quo or mm-hmm. kind of the cultural norm, you can be canceled. And you know, right. Pope Benedict is really uh, hitting on that in this point about what is true. Uh, what, do, what do we truly mean by tolerance? You know, if we're going to say that we're tolerant, you know, we have to be f- grounded first and foremost in the truth and leading others to that truth. And that's obviously something for us as Dominican friars, you know, yes, very important no, absolutely. You know, in, in wanting to seek the truth. Uh, another uh, set of, um, here in, in dealing with interreligious dialogue or the interactions of Christianity with other religions is particularly... Christianity's uh, interactions with Judaism. Mm -hmm. So there's um, a number of things that Pope Benedict touches upon. Again, this is a a lengthy part in the in the first couple of chapters, um, first few chapters actually of this book. But again, there's one question of the covenant of Israel, and what is it? What does it mean with the coming of Christ? Does the covenant with the old of the Old Testament? Does the covenant with the people of Israel? Is it abolished? Is it you know, just completely wiped away? Or is it fulfilled? And this is something that Pope Benedict goes into deeply looking more and more about how Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, the Savior of the whole world, comes to fulfill uh, the covenant of Israel and seeing this as you know, a way of where there could be continual dialogue with Judaism you know, going right. forward. Now, you know, he... He does talk about there might be points where it's just not going to be possible to, you know, come to an agreement point, you know, with uh, the people, with the people of Israel, the people, uh, the chosen people. But, you know, where can there be areas of of dialogue and discussion? In fact, there's actually a series of letters between what Pope, uh, between Pope Benedict and a Jewish rabbi, Rabbi, rabbi Ari Folger, uh, where you actually see the dialogue going hmm. uh, between here, this Whoa. retired pope and this rabbi, that uh, Pope Benedict wrote something that the rabbi uh, responded to, mm-hmm. you know, just in a public for, uh, for, um, forum, and the pope engaged in dialogue wow. with this rabbi, willing to, uh, you know, to look at areas of common understanding and grounding, definitely seen common grounding in, um, in many moral teachings, you know, a Judeo-Christian uh, morality, you know, that we share right. um, with Judaism. So this was something that... Um, you know, just I think an interesting uh, dialogue that Pope Benedict was never afraid, you know, to engage, you know, another in a mm-hmm. theological discussion. Yeah, I noticed like uh, one of my favorite works of Benedict was this his his three his trilogy on Jesus of Nazareth right. on the yeah. Gospels. And yes. he, in the Sermon on the Mount, he points out, you know, reading basically from a commentary by a Jewish rabbi mm-hmm. on the Sermon on the Mount that what would have been shocking to the Jews at the time was not, you know, where Jesus says. You know, you have heard it said, uh, you know, love, hate your enemies and love your friends. I say love your enemies. That would not have been shocking. What would have been shocking to them would, it be, would be to say, like, you know, um, the, the part where he says, he says, but I say to you, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that he is take. So in other words, mm-hmm. what he's teaching is actually wouldn't be that um, foreign to what a rabbi might say. Right. But what was, was th- that he was claiming the authority mm-hmm. of of. Of, to be even greater than Moses. Yes. That was the big difference. Yes. So you're listening to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by Father Paul Marich. We've been discussing 
um, Pope Benedict XVI's uh, last book entitled, What is Christianity? The Last Writings, which he directed only to be published after his death. Um, one other topic I know that is near and dear to Pope Benedict's heart is is liturgy and music. Mm -hmm. So what does he write about that? Right, so he's talking about the role of, so of course, you know, one of Benedict's most popular books was The Spirit of the Liturgy, right. you know, a, a book about liturgical theology. Which is before he was Pope. Right, right. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's seen it as a, um, a work of Ratzinger, uh, right, you know, to right. distinguish Ratzinger the theologian, you know, uh, before before his papacy. Uh, but he has this, uh, it's, a, it's a smaller article, Music and Liturgy. This was actually um, a speech that he gave upon receiving an honorary uh, degree mm -hmm. uh, back in, 20, in, in 2015, so soon, a couple of years after um, leaving the papacy. Uh, but what he talks about is, you know, the role of music being born of Christian faith. Hmm. And so he looks at, you know, of course, Benedict himself was a great musician. He played the piano and coming mm -hmm. uh, from Germany, you know, he's you know, he's formed by a lot of these great German composers. Right. Uh, that that I think really shaped uh, his his background. Uh, but what he says here is, you know, in no other cultural sphere, you know, referring to a Christian culture, in no other cultural sphere is there music without a grandeur equal to that of the music born in the sphere of Christian faith, from Palestrina to Bach to Handel down to Mozart, Beethoven, and Bruckner. Western music is something unique, which has no equals in the other cultures. This should make us think. And particularly, what are we thinking about is how, you know, when you, you think about these great artists and the number, uh, these great composers, and the number of great works that they made that they gave us how much of that was born of faith and mm. that there is something you know different mm. that happens if our christian faith inspires what we do right and so this right. is what he sees in in western music in general is that this is a culture that is shaped by the coming of jesus christ mm. that you know and it's it's not to say that other types of music are you know, he, he's not degrading them or saying that they're bad or inferior. What is he saying, though, that there's something about Western music that is heightened because mm -hmm. of that influence of Christianity? And so this is something, too, you know, where we talk about, uh, you know, when we look at music in the liturgy, that music is something that is meant to enhance the liturgy, that's meant to enhance our worship of God, to raise our minds and voices to God. Mm -hmm. And so here, you know, be, but also seen it in in the light of our Christian faith forming all that mm. we do. And, you know, you could look at, you know, this is an article that he, or it was a speech that he gave, now given to us as an article. This was something that was done, you know, specifically about music. But mm. we could think of other art forms. You know, you could think of the great, you know, sculptors or, or painters, right. you know, throughout Christianity, who's, who their faith in Christ inspired what they do, mm. what they did. And so this, I think, brings us to a sense of, you know, what is art, what is sacred art in particular, right. or what is sacred music, is that, yes, there are the elements, you know, that are specific to the art form, you know, to be mm -hmm. a, com uh, a composer you know, of, of these great pieces, you know, you have to know music and elements of music theory and how to compose and how notes work, but mm -hmm. it's that faith in Christ mm -hmm. that is inspiring what they do and how they use that music for, for the greater glory of God. Mm-hmm. 
Right. I understand there's also an article in the new book about the priesthood. Yes. You know, so this, of course, was a bo- uh, an article very, you know, much in- that I anticipated reading, you know, mm-hmm. being, you know, fairly uh, recently ordained. But, you know, this was, you know, Pope Benedict was someone, uh, he was a priest for 71 years. Wow. Uh, you know, he had such a long... That. Wow. Yes. He um, was ordained in 1951, you know, and he was somebody, even in his later years... When he retired from the papacy, you know, of course, formerly we called him Pope Emeritus, but right. he just wanted to be addressed as Father Benedict. Really? You know, in, wow. his, in his later years and mm-hmm. looking at, at the priesthood. And so, you know, this is a thing, too, where a lot of this draws itself also from the ecclesiology of Pope Benedict, uh, from his study of the church, because he looks at, uh, to begin this article on the priesthood, uh, he looks at you know, what Vatican II teaches about the priesthood mm-hmm. in its document uh, on the priesthood. But then, you know, what has happened since, you know, again, it's not just from Vatican II. This goes back even to the times of Luther, where you know, the priesthood has been either misunderstood or lessened mm-hmm. for what it is, as one who offers sacrifice, as one who stands in the person of Christ. And so he also goes to look at then priests of the Old Covenant, you know, and then the fulfillment that comes uh, with you know, priests of Jesus Christ. So it's a very, you know, theological development of the priesthood, right? That begins with, uh, you know, looking at, you know, the priesthood in the in the Old Testament, the fulfillment in in Jesus Christ, priests of the New Covenant, you know, that was established at the Last Supper. And then, you know, what it means to minister as a priest, to offer sacrifice. So very important, you know, topics and that should not be lessened because, mm-hmm. you know, it's something, and you know, even for you and I as priests, what's important to remember, we're not just mere functionaries, you know, or we're not right. just, you know, kind of standing up there, you know, um, you know, merely as like a, a president of the community, you know, and, right. and that's, that is one view that's come about of the priesthood of, you know, just kind of somebody who merely presides, mm-hmm. but that there's no, um, no real difference, mm-hmm. you know, where for us as priests, we have been marked, we have been uh, given a character to offer worship. And so mm-hmm. I think Pope Benedict, you know, in all that he wrote about the liturgy and all that he understands about uh, the role of the church is that role of the priest as one who mm. offers worship, who offers sacrifice, you know, who stands in the person of Christ, that this vision cannot be lost. Mm. Right, I know this book also captures some of Pope Benedict's personal devotions. Right. You hear a little bit about his inner life, which is not always seen, you mm-hmm. know, in a, in a pope. What are some of these devotions? So, uh, one, th- one he often talks about, he talks about is St. Joseph, his own right. uh, patron saint. So there's mm-hmm. um, a great little... Uh, it's actually the very last chapter of the book where he talks about the silence of St. Joseph because mm. uh, I, I once saw this internet meme, you know, of uh, everything St. Joseph said in, in the Bible and it was just an open and closed quotation marks, <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing in between. Because when you, you know, when you read the scriptures, St. Joseph never actually said anything. Right. Um, but this is where, you know, we look at... Uh, this was his own, you know, Pope Benedict's own patron saint, you know, throughout mm-hmm. his life, being Joseph Ratzinger. Uh, but, you know, what he does say, you know, you know, and, you know, we could laugh about how St. Joseph never said any words, but he says, it is true, no words of St. Joseph are handed down to us by the New Testament with his story, 
but there is a correspondence between the task entrusted to St. Joseph by the angel who appears to him in a dream and his action, a correspondence that clearly characterizes him. And that's what we do see with St. Joseph is his obedience in the Gospels. You know, that he was somebody who always, you know, when the angel told him to do something, you know, whether it was, you know, to take Mary as his wife or, you know, to flee to Egypt, Mm -hmm. he did it without hesitation. And in a way, you know, Pope Benedict was known for being a rather, you know, quiet person. Right. You know, a little more reserved. You know, you you think about how John Paul II before him was, you know, just, uh, you know, this, his personality, very dynamic. You know, he had been an actor. You know, he can, Mm -hmm. you know, get up on in front of a crowd of of thousands. And, you know, there was uh, just the way he would deliver, you know, was really his actor's trade was, you know, was definitely seen. Whereas Pope Benedict was was more of a shy person, you know, that, uh, and oftentimes even when he did spoke, he, he had to kind of articulate, you know, think about what he was going to say first, you know, before he articulated it. And then we see what he would say. And it's just like, you know, this, this vastly theological, uh, articulation, Mm -hmm. but you know, there, there is something to be said about Pope Benedict. He was, you know, properly named Joseph in that there's that, that quietness to Joseph Ratzinger, but then, he was obedient, you know, when he just wanted to be a theologian, but then the church asked him to be a bishop. You know, he started as mm-hmm. the Archbishop of Munich, Freising in Germany, and then Pope John Paul II asked him to be head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in the early 1980s, and he went. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it's like, you know, Lord, I just want to be a theologian writing books. Yeah. And, and he still did that while working for the church and serving the church. And then finally, in 2005, you know, when he was 78 years old, ready to finally retire and go mm-hmm. back to Germany, he was asked to be Pope. And so yeah. there was all this obedience, you know, that he was always obedient to the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, when we talk about John Paul II, too, you know, there was this close friendship between uh, Pope Benedict and his predecessor, mm-hmm. now St. John Paul II. And that's actually a great, uh, uh, there's a great art- um, article in here that he wrote in 2020 on the hundredth anniversary mm. of Pope John Paul II, and so that was a again a very endearing. Mm. Um, you see a very endearing side of Pope Benedict, where he talks mm-hmm. about the importance of John Paul II in the life of the Church. Of course, he's writing this now about his friend, mm-hmm. who is now a canonized saint, uh, but then also the the influence and the role uh, that Pope John Paul II had on him. You know, in a way, preparing him, you know, to be Pope, and mm-hmm. as he was so close to him, so. He also, one thing too, he points out too is, you know, in Pope John Paul II, his great love for the divine mercy. And then now oh, okay. Pope John Paul II died on right. that vigil, on the vigil. Of, of the Feast yes. of Mercy. Yes. So. Yes. So he had great devotion to uh, St. Joseph, especially. Yeah. Um, and I know he, I've heard that um, even though it was Pope Francis who added St. Joseph's name to mm-hmm. the other three right. Eucharistic prayers, I've heard that it actually, that stemmed from initiative started by Pope Right, because he, you know, was, of course, you know, the liturgy was something very near and dear to Pope Benedict, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that that's, you know, is something now that we see in all the Eucharistic prayers, mm-hmm. you know, but that, um, you know, and I think that helps in understanding the continuity you know, in the papacy, you know, from where Pope Benedict, you know, picked up, uh, you know, after the death of John Paul II, and then things that Pope Francis, you know, continued in uh, when he assumed the chair of Peter. Mm. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's a great little book, uh, you know, of 
the the page number on here is only about uh, it's two hundred twenty three pages. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know it's an easy read. Uh, you know, especially a lot of the chapters are just broken up thematically. Mm-hmm. You know, so if our uh, if our listeners are interested in you know something that they can maybe read. You know, and some some of the chapters are longer than others, but something if they just want a little quick read or something that uh, mm-hmm. you know to look at at different parts, uh, it's available from Ignatius Press, which of course has published most of uh, of Joseph Ratzinger's works, and you know really is like I said a, a theological last will and testament, you could mm-hmm. say, of this great of this great pope uh, and theologian. And I was you know I was privileged when I was in uh, my studies in Washington. I got to take a course on the theology of Joseph Ratzinger mm. that really covered a lot of these themes, you know, that you see throughout his works. So I know for after having taken that course and getting deep into the work of Ratzinger, it, w- it was helpful, you know, now to be able to, you know, kind of see this as a capstone to everything. Now, of course, when mm. I when that was a few years ago before he passed away and before, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't even know that some of these writings, you know, right. had even been, been done or they may mm-hmm. have just been talks here and there that had not been put into a, a published form. So, right. Right. you know, this is really now a way, um, you know, as he f- passed, you know, nearly a year ago, he lived a very long life, mm-hmm. over 95 years, you know, so much that he gave the church in his theological writings. And so we could also think of this as, his last gift uh, right. to the church, you know, of those final writings in the last decade of his life. Yeah, it's always, I remember reading again in his, in his books on Jesus of Nazareth, how he presented them not simply, not as, a, uh, as an official commentary on the Gospels, but right. really just as his own personal reflections as, right. a, as a believing right. Catholic, you know, on, right. on the Gospel and who Jesus Christ is. And he was very... For someone who's very intellectual and very reserved in mm-hmm. a way, you know, it was very, it was very transparent and very right. personal in a way, mm-hmm. you know, how he shared his own, you know, way of, as all, all of us do, how he shared his own path to understand Christ, especially as he's revealed himself in the saving truth of our faith. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us today for the Dominican Dimensions. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I've been joined in the studio by Father Paul Marich. Let's end with prayer invoking the intercession of our holy founder, St. Dominic. O light light of the the church, church, teacher of truth, rose of patience, ivory of chastity, freely you have poured forth the waters of wisdom. Preacher of grace, unite us with the blessed. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. Veni,